Hello, and welcome to Episode 3 of The Spiel, a regular podcast about games and the people who love them. My name is Stephen Conway. And I'm David Colson. And we are your resident game experts. Uh, we're rolling along here on Episode 3. Uh, how are you doing tonight, Dave? I'm doing great, especially after just uh, playing those two games. But. Yep, <laughs> we'll get to those in a minute. Another couple games off the list. We're actually down below. We're into the 60s now. Yes, amazing. Our unplayed list of games. It's amazing how many times the number 69 keeps coming back up on unplayed <laughs> games. I, we won't even Coincidence? Go there. I think not. <laughs> uh, for those of you maybe just joining us for the first time, uh, we discuss board games and card games uh, primarily, but we're open to the whole world of games. We're gamers at heart, and we'll go off on tangents about all sorts of different kinds of games and things, and, and boy, we have a doozy of a tangent here to start out with. Game News and Notes. Uh, our first uh, segment is uh, News and Notes, and... Uh, Ordinarily, we'll just cover sort of new releases and things, but there's a couple really noteworthy things that are yeah, sort these of are awesome. tangentially related to, to the world of board games necessarily, but are all about games themselves. So um, the April issue of Wired Magazine was devoted to games of all sorts. It was edited by Will Wright, who um, was the designer of many popular computer and video games sure most of you all heard of SimCity and The Sims. Yep. He has a new game coming out later this year called Spore, which uh -huh. looks really awesome. Um, but he uh, edited um, the whole main sort of cover area for the Wired magazine. And at the beginning of the game section, he has an awesome article um, that I thought would just be fodder for some conversation here to begin with. Because to me, the interesting thing is... He's writing from a vantage point of someone who thinks mostly about video, video games. games. Right. And I'll be damned if I don't think that most of the his points, which are excellent points... Completely applicable to board games. Yeah. I mean, it's amazing. Uh, to me, that you know, I think it takes someone or some ones like us right. who ha kind of have a foot in both camps because we're not the kind of people who think, well, we hate computer right. games because you know they keep you away from playing board games or vice versa. Exactly. I th there's room to like both. And, it has um, to me, that's kind of the most interesting thing about this article is, is kind of looking at it. So I've picked out a few quotes, and I, I think, Dave, you've read the article. Yep. So um, I was just going to jump in here and maybe read a couple of these quotes, and yeah, then we, no, can, yeah. we can talk about you know their relevance to kind of games in general because I think they're really prescient. Okay. Um, so one of his first comments is, that he thinks game playing is a lot like the scientific method, that the way you go about playing games is a lot the same that the way scientists go about solving problems, that you actually are learning how to solve problems in games the same way. So the quote is, through trial and error, players build a model of the underlying game based on empirical evidence collected through play. As players refine this model, they begin to master the game world. It's a rapid cycle of hypothesis, experiment, and analysis, and it's a fundamentally different take on problem solving than the linear read-the-manual-first approach. Exactly. To me, this describes really adequately um, the whole process of sitting down to play any new game and is really what we'll be getting into in almost yeah. every episode because 
the main chunk of, of the next segment is us discussing having played two new games and our impressions of the game and our the process of learning that we've just gone through exactly. with this game. And to me, um, yes, someone has to have read the rules in order to sit down and play a new board game. And But to me, the only difference between that and like a, a computer game is that the computer is that person who's already read the rules for you. Exactly. And, you know... Usually, of late, Dave is the one who's come prepared with some sense of the rules, and he sort of opens up that whole Pandora's box for us to sit down and just explore. He kind of lays down the ground rules for five or ten minutes and kind of gives us the lay of the land. But you know, the next hour we just spend experimenting and problem solving to try and figure, you know, exactly like you just said. To me, yeah, it's it's really cool that the. The process of playing is really the process of figuring the game out. Yep. Not only the first time, but you know, how many games do you play where you feel like, well, I really liked it, but I would take like two or three more times before I really understand yeah, how there, the right way to play. Played. And right. to me, that's that's part of the pleasure is that problem, that's, kind of figuring out where those boundaries are. Oh, well, you can kind of do that strategy, but if you do it too much... You're totally going to yeah, get hosed exactly. at some point. No matter how many people or who you're playing with, a healthy chunk of the game is you feel like you're you're pitting yourself against, you know, trying to figure out this game. You yeah. Know, and it's not that the game is the opponent, but right. it's that that the challenge of figuring out how to navigate through the the game world, as he yep, says, and exactly. to end up, you know, victorious in the end. I mean, that's right. generally the object of the game. Right. But to me, the your object is to have fun it's along right, the way. Exactly. Um, I don't know. You want to read the next one, or you want to you, uh, um, just I go can, ahead? You're probably more okay. familiar with the article. So the the next one um, is more talks about the gamer's mindset. The gamer's mindset quote: the fact that they are learning in a totally new way means that they'll treat the world as a place for creation, not consumption. This is the true impact that games will have on our culture. He makes this point specifically, specifically about video games, right? But I think, to me, all to, I don't know. Would you agree with this? That video games have just brought into like a broader culture, uh, just an awareness of games in general oh, yeah. that may have have lapsed. But I don't think that's any less true. That that gamer's mindset is totally there for anyone who plays, whether it's a board game or a card yeah. game. That there's a certain mindset that you have to get yourself in. Exactly. Um, that's a very creative one. There's probably a lot of people that don't realize that, I mean, about themselves. You mm-hmm. know, that by playing all these video games that they have the same mindset as if they were to sit down and to do some of the stuff we, you know, we do, but it absolutely is exactly the same. Yeah, I mean, he wants to make the point about, you know, the they're being so open-ended with video games that, you know, it's kind of has that sandbox element that you can just play around uh-huh. and do stuff, but it's freedom within define boundaries because there's still computer code and there's still things that define the limits of what they can do. It's just that the players aren't aware of those limits where in a board game, you know, those limits, I mean, there is a physical board that you know where the the limit of that is. So to me, it's just sort of the video game is just a, a logical extension of what you already do when you sit down in front of a, a board to play with right. other people. It's just that it's a more imaginative space exactly. rather than, you know, a digital space. Um, it leads up to, I guess, his biggest point, which is that, um, quote, it's time to reconsider games, to recognize how they benefit, not denigrate right. culture. 
and I couldn't say it better oh, myself. Yeah, exactly. I think it games deserve their due as their own unique form of of human interaction that yeah. are not the same as you know passive entertainment as you know right reading books or watching films or listening to music that they bring something to the table no pun intended <laughs> yeah, exactly. uh that <laughs> is really unique and that I think we're just starting to understand uh to me it's really fun to watch in in movies and things uh the sort of gamer stereotype become right. uh, more, you know, it's more towards video games and things like that, but there's a certain mindset that even has crept in there that in the past has been treated as sort of, you know, the black t-shirted, you know, <laughs> exactly. completely sleazy kind of guy or, you know, the slacker kind of thing. But his whole point is that there are tons of people, he's talking as much about the lady playing Mahjong three right. days a week. Exactly. As he is that black t-shirted guy playing, you right. know, Mortal Kombat for the hundredth <laughs> time. Um, the next quote is, uh, games create possibility space. Games start with a well-defined state, the setup in chess, for instance, and end when a certain state is reached, checkmate. Players navigate this possibility space by their choices and actions, and every player's path is unique. Now, it, to me, it's funny that he has to rely on exactly. a board game uh, to metaphor exactly. to explain what he's talking about in video games. I mean, he obviously gets it right um, that he's not just talking about you know <laughs> digital entertainment on that level. And to me, we were just talking about this earlier. How you know, anytime you sit down to play a game, you know, tonight we played a game. Uh, we played two different games. We got to play a game based around the Hundred Years' War. That combines that with poker, <laughs> and another game where uh, you're uh, trying to control shipping lanes in the South Pacific in like the 19th century. There are all these different sort of imaginative worlds that you get a chance to to live in for just a short little while in a very different way than losing yourself in a book. Right. You you have a measure of control, and you're in it with other people. Wait, There's you know. The not only is each person's path unique, but each game, sitting down, the, each experience of having played the game with, with the people. Exactly. I, you could you use know. the you could do the same exact thing, you know, in three different games with different groups of people, and it would you know bring you to a different end every time, just because of the different people that you're playing with. Yeah, and that's to me, that's why I play games. I mean, that that the novelty of that experience, even if you're way familiar with the game. Um, if it's a good game, you're always going to come up with novel and interesting challenges to, to solve and or you're going to be sitting down with people that are different and the experience of playing that game, even if it's a game you love and know like the back of your hand, playing it with people you know, over time is just a pleasurable and, and just opens up to all kinds of different possibilities. Yep. Uh, moving on. Uh, games are in evolving to entertain, educate, and engage us individually. Our choice of games reflects who we are as much as our choice of books or music or movies. I, That's a tough one. It's, 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 it's true. I mean, obviously, we're here trying to promote that, you know, every single game can be fun in the right, you know, conditions with the right people. But obviously, people are going to have preferences, and those preferences for games as well as music or movies 
is going to say something about that person. Yeah. I mean, just like anything else, and you know, I well, think certain, I mean, he's dead on. Yeah, I mean, you can play different kinds of games and have fun, but there are definitely games that we gravitate towards that right. they come out of our game closets a lot more often than others, and it's fun to know that, you know, when you get into a conversation with someone because more people are playing so many different kinds of games that it's a way to connect with people that you might not ordinarily have a connection with. I mean, we wouldn't um, be sitting here today together if, absolutely, it, was, you know, if yeah. it wasn't for games, <laughs> yeah, period. We definitely met because of that, and, and, you know, I think that's becoming a more socially normal thing for people, not just with board games, but any kinds of games that there's a whole right. new way that you find, especially with, uh, you know, online things where you can connect with people across the uh, planet, literally, yeah. that you have this thing in common with that you can share that that common experience and not necessarily have to be sitting across the table to, to basically, right. to me, the most interesting thing about the sort of crossover between the board game and the sort of electronic game uh-huh. world is that the world is sort of like one big board now. That that sort of you can sit down at the table and the world is the table. You can sit down and play with anyone, anywhere, virtually anything. anywhere, yeah. anytime, and play any game, and you know form all kinds of interesting friendships or connections that you would otherwise not have. Yeah, that's um, so. Two more, and then we'll move on to, to other. Uh, topics. Uh, games allow us to express ourselves, to meet others, and create things that we can only dimly imagine. They enable us to share and combine our creations, to build vast playgrounds whenever and wherever we play. Well, I think we just actually talked yeah, about exactly, that yeah, as exactly. we jumped ahead, but I mean, yep. that's really the great thing about about games is that they open up that, that whole world, and the electronic There's... stuff just enhances that. It's not in competition Right, with exactly. the experience of being able to, to sit across there's, the table. And there's not a lot, of, a lot of other avenues that allow people to create and express, you know, in that way when, you, uh, you know, participating in a game with other people. Mm-hmm. It's just completely different than, you know, any other thing that you would do. Yeah, I mean, I come I come at world as a screenwriter, so I obviously love movies and, and enjoy, you know, film, but it's a passive form of entertainment, and, you know, it's... Dave works in the theater, and I come from a theater background, too. It's a passive form of entertainment where it comes to you. Right. Games are, the, the tables are turned on you there. You're sitting there, and the entertainment comes from the actions of the people making choices there at the table, and you're going to be creating an experience rather than uh, witnessing exactly. an experience. And there's just nothing like that. I mean, no. you know, it's <laughs> not a matter of one being better than the other. But it's not the same, and it deserves its due. Right. And I think the the best quote, and this is one yeah. that I, I need like taped up in my office <laughs> wall because it's just so dead on the mark, is that more than ever, quote, games will be a visible. Let me start over. Games will be a visible external amplification of the human imagination. And <laughs> wow. To me, that's just the perfect. You know, the game as a vehicle for the human mind is. It's a perfect metaphor that that's the way I've always thought about it. I exactly. Didn't, I didn't. It's, I would never necessarily put it in those words, but when you see it, it's like, well, of course, yeah, that's exactly what to me brings me to the to the table time and time again. Um, I'd encourage you to check out the April issue of Wired. Yeah, it's, it's a. It's got some really cool stuff in it, and and the whole article is online. Um, you can even read it there if you go to wired.com. 
and read it. Um, but yeah, I think I'll, that's... <laughs> uh, I'll shut up for a minute because I've been dominating that's the conversation. Okay. I'm enjoying listening to this. <laughs> <laughs> you can tell I'm a little worked up about it. <laughs> I'm off my soapbox now. I'm <laughs> stepping back in a way where I get crazy haired and <laughs> foaming at the mouth. Um, Dave, I, I sent you a link too. Moving on, this is sort of in parallel with the the talking about the um, connection between the electronic game world and the board game world. I found this really cool. Uh, Whereas technology. the first thing was kind of like the ideals behind the connections. This is like, holy crap! All of a sudden, the physical connection. Yeah, the possibly, reality, possibly, of it. <laughs> you know, between the two, and it, it's amazing. Go ahead, because you, I saw the little thing you sent me, and it, it was awesome. Um, but you probably know more about it than I do. Well, I, basically, um, looking online, I found a, a link to an article about, it's called The Diamond Touch Table, and it's in Research and Development by Mitsubishi. Basically, it's a, it's a series of technology that they've sort of cobbled together with like a prototype with the idea of eventually making uh, this into a reality to be able to sell to different people. Um, the idea is that you have a, a digital projector that's mounted on like right. the ceiling, pointed down at a table, that but the tabletop is a touch screen, and that touch screen is hooked into a computer that will, um, you know, react to what you're doing on the screen and what's being projected onto it. Now the article goes into great detail talking about the applications for real-time strategy games and war right. games that are online. And anyone who looks into, who's even halfway interested in board games, their eyes had to just kind of go boom when they saw yeah, it's... this table. Uh, there's so many applications I can I can immediately think of for board games, not computer games. Exactly. Um, you could do amazing things by putting. I mean, go back to classics like you know Monopoly and think of the the ten thousand variations you could do. Um, you know, with a group of people actually physically sitting around, you know, a video game board, you know, as it were, mm -hmm. and, you know, not just using the mouse to say, well, do this, do this, physically reaching out with your hands and moving your pieces and rolling your dice and, you know, allowing yourself to interact with the other people sitting with you, but getting the benefit of those, you know, the technology, the awesome, yeah. you know, breakthrough. Yeah. You know, and stepping it up from Monopoly, I mean, if you look at any of the, the European-style games and things like that with the intricate maps or uh, terrain, we were talking about Settlers of Catan, yep. which is a game that I, I suppose a lot of people know about out there and, and love and play. Imagine being able to sit down with the, the hexes and the terrain and being able to, to, you know, touch the connections between your little hexagons mm -hmm. and have the roads sprout up or have the table be able to, to read, you know, whatever your dice roll was and the, the robber, you know, the board becomes a sort of living, breathing thing right. rather than a static element the way it is now. You can have sort of the physical pieces being played onto the board that, you know, maybe a certain shape piece when you put it down, not even thinking of games that exist now, but it's so oh. easy to imagine a synthesis of having this a live, active, animated game board that's being projected yeah. digitally that you have to use physical pieces like a normal board game right. instead oh. of just dragging your finger around, you know, carrying bits of data right. from one place to another to actually so have, have that have tactile that. experience of playing yeah, like a board game, but you have the advantage of all the 
the coolness of a yeah. video game, who the heck wouldn't yeah, want that? that? I mean, man. it's just yeah. When I when I saw this, I was I was just blown away. You're, they're missing the boat. I mean, we should definitely come up with these games. If they're not thinking along those yeah. lines, we should be thinking along those lines. Think how and much smaller our game clauses would be if all of our games were on. <laughs> well, that's, you know, it, there's that old commercial about, you know, the jukebox being able to play any song from any, you know, musician throughout all time. Well, to me, looking at that board was one of those yep. aha moments and thinking, that board could be, be. any game that I want any time, time that I want it to be. Exactly. How awesome would that be? I mean, yeah. I would. I, it's not like I'm going to go out and throw all the games out of my closet. Right. But how awesome would it be to have the facility to, to enhance the experience of playing the game by having that at your disposal? Yeah. I mean, depending upon how, there's no, of course, price tag on it yet since oh, it's right. still in research and development. Um, I'll include a link in the show notes um, to the place. But if you do a Google search for Diamond Touch Table and Mitsubishi. You'll, it'll come up. I found the the link on a, a tech blog that I read pretty regularly called Engadget. Um, and if you do a search on there, you'll see the, the link back to the original article. Um, That's very cool. I can't wait to see more stuff on that. Yeah, yeah. stay tuned. If, we, if I see any more, I'll definitely update you. Um, so now that I've... I can catch my breath and let Dave talk <laughs> for a minute. I'm sorry to have dominated so much of the early part of the episode here. That's fine. <laughs> oh, oh, okay. Wake up, Dave. It's your turn. <laughs> so, along with this very extended version of news and notes That's today, uh, we do have a word of a new game that Dave has already told me a little bit about, and I'm salivating, so take it away. Cool. Well, there's uh, the new game that I'm looking forward to is a small game called Times Square, and it's going to be um, distributed in this country by Rio Grande, but its um, origin is in Germany by a game company called Cosmos, who has done a series of two-player games um, for, oh, I'm trying to think how long, probably... Ten, ten years, at least ten. Yeah, at least ten years. Anyway, this is number 29 in that series. <laughs> and how many do you own, Dave? I own 28 so far, <laughs> so I'm highly interested in this one. Um, as a collector, to have the 29th one, and also the majority of the games in this series, they're, they're all for two players, but the majority of them are really, really great games. This one also has an extra boon. It's by uh, Rainer Knizia, which I believe we discussed before. Yeah. Who it. is obviously one of our all-time favorite game designers. We'll discuss again, I'm sure. Exactly. Um, but back to the name of this game is Times Square, and I'll read you a little thing that I printed off the Internet real quick just to give you. This is maybe the one downfall. It has a rather wacky um, idea. It's called Times Square, and I'll read you this real quick. So, without Champagne Charlie and Saucy Sue, nothing happens in <laughs> Times Square. Others flock to places that attract celebrities and other important people. In other words, they go where the party is. Thus, folks go where Dancing Deb and Handsome Hal frequent. Players use cars to influence the movements of these people towards their nightclubs. The winner will be the player who is the best at attracting the famous. Wow. <laughs> Typical... Um, it sounds cool, I have to say. <laughs> goofy, exactly. granted, I exactly. mean, given. <laughs> very, very goofy. If you were to look at the artwork is and read sort of, that, it might kind of scare you away, but... Is it kind of like 1920s? Uh, from that flavor text, it sounds sort of flapper, well, you, flapper era. You would, you would think that, but I thought some of the graphics looked a little more modern than that. Really? Um, okay. But I can't remember 100%. Um, but 
can't wait to get this game. All the other two-player things that Rainer's done in this series have been great. Yeah. I believe that they're looking at um, getting this to us sometime this month in April. Wow. Um, which would be awesome, which probably means we're really not going to have it till May. Yeah. Um, means the other we'll th- probably be playing it fairly soon, though. <laughs> yeah, exactly, because that's, that's one that I will be getting. <laughs> but um, the thing that I thought was interesting about is we'll draw these conclusions before af- actually having in- any information about it. Yeah. <laughs> but um, the board looks a lot, an awful lot like another game that uh, Rainer's done. Classic. Um, classic called, it actually started off called On Guard. Right. And then recently a remake called Duel. Um, and it's an awesome two-player game. Probably one of the best two-player games I've played in a long time. Yeah. And I think it's that way because of its simplicity. But going back to this game, the board looks an awful lot like that dual board. Hmm. Um, and what ma- what makes me excited about it is if this is an extension of that, a way for him to say, hey, I've taken this awesome game and taken it one step farther with these couple tweaks, I can't even imagine yeah. how yeah. cool that would be. could be completely... You know, out of my mind, and it may not have anything to do with it, but that's put, the potential is there. I can't wait to get it. Yeah, that sounds that sounds awesome, and I think you should get that soon so we can play it. <laughs> Woo-hoo. Well, that'll do it for uh, news and notes yep. this week. Lots of lots of cool stuff to talk about. Oh, yeah. It's nice to know that the world out there is paying attention it's... to games and and uh, hopefully paying attention to us too. Um, Incidentally, more than our wives. (laughs) Shameless, shameless plug. Um, You can find uh, more information about uh, the Spiel and about us on our website, which is thespiel.net. You can email us anytime, either Stephen, S-T-E-P-H-E-N, people might spell it wrong, at thespiel.net or Dave at thespiel.net. We welcome your inquiries anytime, so check us out online. The List Every uh, week, every episode, um, we will have just played at least one game from our never-ending list (laughs) of unplayed games from our massive collection of games. We've started this many years ago, probably, gosh, almost a decade ago. Not quite that long, but it's it's been a long time. Getting close to that. Our goal, I don't think we'll ever even be happy. I wouldn't actually be happy if we ever got it to zero. Yeah, that would maybe for a day, but I would never (laughs) want it to stay at zero. But we're actually down after tonight to below sixty, below Below seventy, below seventy. Freaky. Which you know, I think the lowest we've ever had it is thirty. Right. We were down that range. So we're actually doing pretty and, well. And then considering. Gen Con moved to Indianapolis. Yeah, and something and very bad happened. <laughs> but so um, tonight's two games are Havoc, the Hundred Years' War, and Clippers. So um, Dave, why don't you start? Give us the rundown on Havoc. That was the first game that we played. Okay. Well, the, uh, this is a game designed by um, Casey Humphreys, which I'm not familiar with. I don't believe. Um, that he's done anything else, but it's his first game uh, according is, to board games. This Geek. is his first game. Um, the publisher is Sun River Games, which is a very small. I believe this is their first game. I think so. Yeah. Um, I've heard some talk about um, another game or two coming out, but I think this is all they have right now. And the only place right now to purchase this game is on FunAgainGames.com. It's an exclusive, which is a great game retailer yeah. online. Um, you can get it for about 19 bucks, and it's two to six players. And what makes this game so wacky is because the theme is the Hundred Years' War. The mechanics are is poker. 
Um, it's awesome. Of course, you normally it, would think of the Hundred Years War and poker together. I mean, who wouldn't think of exactly the 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 cool tweak they've made is they've taken poker one step farther and gone with a six card poker hand instead of a five card poker hand, which opens up those crazy. Two sets of three, three pairs of two. The big house. The yeah, the big house. The, Which is four and two. Four and two instead of you know, three and two. And then you've got the six card, you know, flush and crazy stuff like that. But um, it, like I said, it plays two to six people. We had three of us here tonight. Uh, I think with the three of us, we got a really good feel for how neat this game really is and the potential that it can be really crazy with up to that six. Oh, yeah. yeah. Six people, so... I thought um, the dogs of war, I guess, are the one thing that makes it add in. They're they're sort of wild cards, but they also allow you to to do things like bring cards back into your hand or steal cards from other people's poker hands after they've laid them out on the table. Right. um, That adds sort of a little bit of wrinkle to the traditional style poker game. And I guess the other big thing is the the way you go about building your hand. Right. The ability to collect cards over the course of several turns. You're not just dealt, like in the majority of poker games, when you're dealt five cards or three cards or seven cards, you're going to play that hand. You actually have a chance over several hands to draw and discard and build hands that you're going to use to win specific battles. battles. And some cards that you may be um, building, you're going to use in the next battle. Some maybe you might be saving for two or three battles from now. They're basically nine. Is it nine? There's nine battles. And the neat thing is that whenever it's your turn, you can decide, you know what? My hand rocks. The battle's going to be now. Mm-hmm. And you just yell havoc and no matter, where, no matter what cards anybody has, they have to pick, you know, the best thing that they think, you know, if they want to attempt to win this battle. Right. You know, right then. And it's it's really cool. It's a, they did a great job. They added. I, I like that. There's still an element of bluffing in it. Oh, in that yeah, yeah. you don't just. It's not like gin. You could lay out your whole hand, but right. you can parcel out your hand so that just they're not sure. Tease. You know. Well, I'm going to put a a one out, and then I'm going to put a five out. Well, does he have the, the two, three, exactly. and four to make the straight or not? You, you just can, got like a pair of ones yeah. and a pair of fives. You know. <laughs> um, I think that's cool that they actually kept the um, the. The element of bluffing element. Right, exactly. from poker that's not just and the mechanics of which hand beats which hand. I think hand it took us, well, the cool thing is we've played enough poker um, that bluffing isn't strange to us, but this took us a couple times to figure out how we were going to adjust our bluffing yes. you know, skills <laughs> in this particular realm. It was so you know so different. but it, Yeah, there, there's really a new, cool. new way to bluff. Yeah, I guess, exactly. That, that you, don't, it, you can't just apply the same old way you'd bluff in poker right. to have it work exactly. in this game, which is... That's that's the mark of a good game. Right. Any time you can find, you know, find there, there's so few like actually new games. You know, they're all kind right. of based around certain just concepts. Handful, but yep. anyone that can find that little tweak that just and makes it seem totally it. new, yep. you know, just that one little thing that makes it different. That suddenly the whole experience of playing the game seems different. That's exactly. that's the mark of a good game. Well, I think we're discussing already what we like about it. What yeah, is there anything you didn't true. like about it? Oh goodness. Um, not really anything with the game. I would say there was a few misleading things in the rules, and it's yeah, either because they were written strange or because we're idiots. I won't rule out either. <laughs> but uh, um, but I believe common sense took over and allowed us to rather easily figure out what needed to be done. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I, I think it was a hoot. I don't know if there. I don't know if I have any problems with it at all. Mine, mine are 
nitpicking. Mine, uh-huh. mine are more cosmetic. I thought that the like the graphic design on the cards, like the battle cards, were kind of hard to read that, and yeah, things like that's that. True. That that could have been better. I actually like the cards themselves have these really nice sort of woodcut. Um, yeah, they, they are really sort of neat. colored in woodcut drawings from like medieval tapestries and things of depicting different battles, and it's really cool. The battle cards on the back actually have give you a little synopsis. They're all the major battles from the Hundred Years' right. War and tell you about the battles. So That's actually, cool. it, it should go on our list of sort of educational, right. you know, not the creepy educational. <laughs> your teacher makes you play them, but games that would work great yeah. in school, but are actually awesome. You might games. actually learn something playing. This game. <laughs> yeah, whether you want to or not. <laughs> But that, I mean, that's so nitpicking almost as to not work, be worth mentioning. But that is an important element right. of games yeah. is, you know, you want the game. It does look nice. I don't want to mm-hmm. suggest otherwise, but I thought they they were hard to read. The, those yep. battle cards yep. were they hard were to tough. read. I would have done those differently yep. if it were me. And I, I can't wait to dig this puppy back out with, you know. How, what's the maximum? Six. Six people? Yep. I think it would be awesome. Yeah, it's, it's a little, it's 1895 retail, which for yep. a card game is a little on the high side. But it's it's worth the it's yep. worth buying. I would I would go out and yep. Dave this is, this was Dave's copy and I uh, I got a copy for Christmas actually and I'm glad that I have it. But if, even if I didn't, I would go out and buy it. Yes, yeah, it's, uh, uh, it's one that you could it. pull out with uh, sort of hardcore gaming group. But it's also a game because it is basically just poker right. that you could plop down in front of people who ordinarily might be put off by exactly. this style right. game. But when you just say now it's gonna look weird, but it's, but it's just poker. poker. Right. And if you give me ten minutes. You'll understand the whole thing, and yeah. you'll have a lot of fun with yep. it. Once they get through one hand or round or battle or whatever, they're just going to be as comfortable as anything else. Yeah, and that's that's an awesome awesome game. Definitely looking forward to cool. doing that one again. So, game number two. And I'll, I'll let you start all the explanation on this guy. <laughs> so, this was Clippers, which we have some interesting things to say about. Uh, it came out in uh, 2002. The designer is Alan R. Moon, who's the designer of many uh, a great game. Dave, yep. you want to give a short laundry list? Um, or um, am I putting you on the spot here? Uh, no, um, I'm trying to think of a, a ton of rail-style rail games. He's done like Elfin Lawn. Um, what's that other great? Um, uh, help me out. Um, um, he's done, he did the Ticket to Ride games. Ticket to Ride, yeah. Which um, is those, those are some of the newest popular things that you would know from him. But his long history of rail-style games even though they may t- trick you into thinking they're not by their theme. Mm-hmm. you know They um, all have kind of that as the, yeah, their nucleus. Yeah, that is a core, <laughs> and, and the majority of them are, are really excellent. He also did, um, I believe he did New England. Yes, yes. Uh, which definitely is, has nothing to do with a rail-style yeah, yeah, game, it's a and it's also a very good game. Um, you know, so he's done a lot of stuff. Um, so the publisher is Euro Games. Um, you can play with two to five people. It takes about an hour, but I would... I would take issue with that. It took us longer than an hour to play this, but that yeah. I will say it's because we you know, we are learning these right, games, exactly. so they always do take us a little bit longer to get a handle on. Um, it's uh, it's actually a remake and a retooling of an right. older game that came out in 1992 called Santa Fe, which was in fact a rail game. Right. They've right. rethemed it for I guess the Euro Games release, and it's all about. Uh, Shipping lanes in the South Pacific during the great era of clipper ships would be, which would be like the the 18th into the 19th century, um, right. sort of expanding the trade routes with all different nations and things. Um, it's about time we we hit upon a game that we could actually <laughs> just let loose on, and I think um, there's a lot of things to say about this game that 
we were not happy with. Now, in the end, there are actually some positive things too, but yep. you can't get away from the components to begin no. with. The components, no. they cheaped out on every possible yep, yep. corner that they could. There, there's not one thing in this box that is worthy of any amount of money that you've spent on it. It was uh, actually pretty embarrassing. Um, and I guess we could start with the worst. I don't know <laughs> yeah. if there is such such a thing, but um, there's these little um, the little port markers. The port markers that each person plays onto a, onto the board. They're uh, they're, they're like so cards. small. Yeah, they're just the regular cardstock um, that you would pop out of a frame. But I'm going to say that they're if they're if you're lucky a quarter of an inch round. Yeah. I think they're smaller than that even. I mean, they are just the smallest things, and they're so lightweight since they're made out of cardboard. You know, if you look at them wrong, <laughs> they're going to be gone. <laughs> don't, and if you have a cold or you yeah, have allergies, yeah. don't play this game because the pieces right. are going to be everywhere. And, and the whole the whole idea of the game is that as you progress through the game, these things are going to be splayed all over the board. I mean, just crazy, and they're going to be mixed in amongst all Hundreds these wooden, of little wooden pieces, pieces and all this other stuff, and... All it just takes one wrong move and your game is done. Yeah, yeah. Over. Because that's know? the critical element. Is that yeah. that's how scoring is determined yeah, is by these little know, port markers. There's no way in hell you could have re- you could remember half of where anything was. I liked your your comment during the game was it looks like they took the pieces out of another game like the leftover scrap yeah, and exactly. like threw it together into this game to try to make pieces for this game because it totally looks like the little dots that you'd have left over after yeah, having punched something out and they exactly. were like well I guess we'll try to use those to make clippers. <laughs> yeah, it was. You've got those little things. You've got the little wooden pieces that you use to mark the trade routes. Which, um, those aren't horrible. They're fairly similar to a lot of other games that have those. The yeah. problem is the ships that um, head up those trade routes are almost indiscernible from yeah. the trade routes themselves. They're just you know shaped a little bit different. And if you're looking at the board, you can't. Once you, you know, get all these little wooden, you know, the little wooden rectangles, basically, and the ships are only, what, maybe... I don't even think they're double the width of of the things. And you got literally dozens and dozens of these things out on the board. It's totally easy to, like, go, where did the red boat go? I totally can't find the red boat. And then you've got the little plastic money that is the absolute worst money that any game could ever include, you know. (laughs) Include it's the I don't even know how to know how to describe it. It's like a tiddlywink. <laughs> Crap, tastic. the, base. Is the yeah, word exactly. I would use. It was, it's just, just hard, but it does come in two sizes. Yeah, you know, and you know, then after you get all of the, when you finally get done with all that, then they throw the oh, and you'll need to get a um, pencil and paper to keep score with. I mean, the last time I've had to keep score with a, a Euro style game is never. You know, they always. <laughs> Figure out some way to incorporate a scoring track. Oh yeah, on the know, board or for something out. on that the board. board was so huge. There's no yeah. reason on earth. To me, it's like the, they they should fire the graphic designer who designed this stuff because yeah. a lot of it comes back to that. You know, the they could have made the they could have made the spots where you put your port markers triple the size they were. Right, and you had well, plenty of room like on the board you said to do earlier, that. You could easily have parts of the board that popped out. I mean, yeah. little teeny holes, and you could have had you could have flags or flags something. Flags, or I mean, there could have been all kinds of cool things. The the core of the game is a good game. Yeah, the um, actual mechanics of the right. game are actually there not were, bad. There were some times when we were scratching our heads, and you know, had tough decision between three things. And as it 
you know, as it turns out, it came down and it was a really close game. Yeah. We're talking about a scores in the 200s, and we were 10-ish points away from each other. Yeah, and if I was you an know. idiot, it wouldn't have even been <laughs> clo- closer. So that that's pretty darn good. But unfortunately, um, you know, one bad, uh, what am I thinking of, component mm-hmm. is not going to ruin a game. No. But two or three or four makes it just really hard to play. Yeah, the process of playing the game was not fun. No. I mean, you, you want you don't mind a certain level of challenge sort of mentally if the rest of the game sort of is working in concert with that concept and right. the whole game itself seemed to be fight you were fighting the game to actually play it yep. and that's just not cool. <laughs> that is not So I, I would uh what say what did we like about the game? Okay, next. Uh, <laughs> no, no, we I, don't want to I think you know there there is an underlying sound concept for a game. I think a, what they knew they there. knew that Santa Fe was a good game. Yeah, it was just kind of old. It never made a big hit. They're like, how can we get this back out there? Well, and quite frankly, you there's know. a ton of rail games that there's not a niche for right. it. To, I exactly. mean, there, that niche is already filled. Right. But they could have. They could have. It's a poor effort on the part of. I don't know whether Euro was the one that demanded the retooling or whether Moon right. himself wanted to do it, but. Um, I'd be interested. I would give Santa Fe a shot. Yeah, I would love just to, to yeah. see how different and whether they really screwed it up in the in the you know transferring it over to doing it with yeah. shipping lanes. I really don't think that the theme is really what's wrong with it. No, no, it's more the components and a few you know things. About I enjoy that I enjoyed really, the theme, but the com- the components absolutely did nothing to lead me down that path of you know involving me in that theme yeah. whatsoever, and that's. You know, as small or as big or as few or as many components they are, to me, they help in that theme, and this didn't at all. This could have been, I don't know, we won't even go there. <laughs> well, it's, it's kind of shocking to realize that, wow, hey, they can actually make a dog every once in a while and, right. and things, but it's kind of comforting to know, hey, they are human. They, they can actually put out a So the, then a are one. we looking forward to playing this game, playing this again? I would say not. No. I would say I, this is one to I pass on. Just cannot fight with these components again. But like Stephen said, we'd love to try Santa Fe sometime. I would, yeah, I reserve see judgment with that. and see if maybe this this recent update is the one that really is not. There are actually two: right. there's Santa Fe and what Santa Fe Rails, Rails by right. GMT that yep. are both predecessors to this one. Cool. Um, but it's off the list. Yeah, we exactly. don't have to play this exactly. anytime recently if we don't want to. It'll, it'll drop down pretty low <laughs> yeah. before this one gets played again, I think. Backshelf Spotlight. This week we're going to cover word games. This is a segment where we talk about um, different games from our shelves that uh, deserve some attention. They, the the list is more to talk about not necessarily brand new stuff but new to us right these are games that i i think we want to bring attention to and that deserve uh your attention too and that you might exactly. not even know about so the topic for this week's back shelf spotlight is word games um we we pick a card game and we pick a board game each week um and um this week um we're going to be covering quiddler and awesome game be thumped with words quiddler is the card game Bethumped um, is the board. And Bethumped with Words is the board game. Um, Dave, you want to start with Quiddler? Yeah, I'll start off with Quiddler. It came out in uh, 1998. Mm-hmm. Uh, unfortunately, we don't know who the designer is, but it's published by um, a company called Set Enterprises, which uh, one of their 
well-known <laughs> games is set. Um, but this accommodates one to eight players. takes about a half hour to play and only costs about ten bucks. Um, it's very similar to a Scrabble type thing, but you just have a deck of cards and each card has a letter, or in some cases there's two letters on the card. Like a TH. Or, yeah, exactly. Or, or a wacky, Q-U. Or a CL, yeah. I think, is one yeah, of them. Yeah, exactly. Um, and and a point, point value. Yeah, and they have a point value on there. Obviously, X's are going to be worth a heck of a lot more than an E. <laughs> um, but the object of the game is no different than any other word game. You're just attempting, um, on your turn, you draw a card and discard um, a card. And you keep doing that until you have the cards that will form a word or um, more than one word. I believe in that game, it doesn't start off, I believe you get uh, three cards in the first hand. Yes. And then four cards and five progressively up to ten, ten cards. Yeah. You get bonus for having um, the longest word, more than uh, a longer word than anybody else, and you also get a bonus for having uh, the more most words. the most words. The most words is, makes it different than Scrabble in right. that you know you're not locked into you know trying to spell out onomatopoeia yeah, or something exactly. like that. You can actually, if you get a bunch of small piddly things, that actually can help right. you. It's yeah, not exactly. it's not a detriment I've, at all. I've gotten to the final you know the last hand before, and I just couldn't get a word for my life, so I had the pig. Den, rat, and you know, just all these goofy little three-letter words, but nobody else could come up with four or five words. So, boom, extra points. But we have a blast with this. I think what's so fun about this is, you know, we'll play it with you know our quote-unquote hardcore gamers. Yet I'll take it over to my parents' house, and they'll just have a blast with it. You can play with kids. Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah, it scales up or down. You can yeah. play with you can play with two people. Like a, it's a great airplane yeah. game. Yeah, exactly, it's fast uh-huh. and. There is but you can also is, play with it up to eight people. There's a wacky cool. one-player thing in here that I've never tried. Oh, yeah, like a solitaire thing. Yeah, like thing. a solitaire thing where you're attempting, I believe, to best your score. Yeah, yeah. Or something like that. But um, but definitely worth worth a look if you're into word games at all. This is it's like in the top group of, you know, Scrabble, Byword, Quiddler. Portable, portable, quick, you know, Scrabble-type yeah. type game, you know, you... If you play Scrabble, you're in for a good two oh, hours. Yeah, absolutely. To play a Scrabble-like game and to get in and out in a half an hour yeah. and have the experience the, be very similar. I, I think, think one of the cool funnest thing. things about this game is if you're playing with a group of at least you know, four or five people or something like that, when you deal out the cards, there's always going to be one person who somehow <laughs> can make a word or words the first turn. Yeah, they get dealt, you know, five or six cards. They draw one card and wham! And the way that it works is, as soon as they can use all their cards, everybody else has one last turn and it never fails. I get stuck with a Q, an R, a Z, a T, and somebody goes out. Yeah, and, <laughs> and of course those are negative. Yeah, points you in get your set hand. for points yeah. if you don't use those. So they've letters. got forty points, and I'm in the whole forty points. Yeah, that's to me. That's I think the best that on the <laughs> clock thing that you exactly. know. At any point, one person can go out, and then there's one last round where you have a chance to lay down. Anything to try to score something so you don't get set with your entire hand just because one person goes. The, the out. fun part with that is, you know, if I'm getting stuck in hand number three with all vowels, you're getting stuck in yeah. hand number four. Tends to know. tends to even out yeah, exactly. <laughs> pretty well. So good game, definitely <laughs> we, worth bringing up. That's awesome. We like to mock Dave for uh, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> forgetting yeah, yeah, yeah. forgetting to spell a quiz. <laughs> There's a little incident where. Uh, he didn't realize that he could spell quiz in his hand and uh, could have could have won the game with well, the, the Q U I and Z. Time I didn't know how to spell quiz. Damn it! <laughs> you knew you weren't going to get out of here without me mentioning <laughs> that. 
Uh, so that was the the card game. Uh, it's ubiquitous. You can find it any almost yep. anywhere. I've sure. seen it in big discount stores, yep. you know, Target or Walmart or places like that. Um, it's in a purple box. Yeah, purple bucks. box. Can't go wrong. The artwork on the cards is really cool. Yeah, really it's like creative. Celtic. Exactly. Um, so the board game, the word board game um, that we're going to discuss is a game called Bethumped with Words. It does not roll trippingly off the tongue <laughs> for a title of a game. Uh, it's a quote from Shakespeare. Um, again, we don't know the designer. It really annoys me now. I guess it's just my game nerdishness that they don't give credit where credit I, is I due. Know. I, I, I just don't understand that. You know some cat had to have come up some, with this yeah, game. Exactly. Why the heck not give them credit? I mean, it, it's like... You know, a publisher putting out a book right. and just you know a big question mark at the end of it. It's exactly. not like it's some compilation. No, it's something. It's a game that didn't exist if it weren't for somebody coming up with. Well, you know what we need to do is we need to make it our mission <laughs> every time we do these games and find one is to go. That'd be good. Yeah. You know, at the patent office or the you know or whatever, and try and find out who's got yeah. whose names on this. I, I'll take that challenge. That'd be fun. Or just contact the manufacturer. They, right. they, exactly. and make them they pick, have to yeah. know. Because once once we know, you'll know. Everybody will know. <laughs> <laughs> so the unknown designer for Bethumped With Words, the publisher is a very small uh, company in Vermont called uh, Mama Paliri. I'm probably butchering that, but that's, that's as good as I'm. Yeah, you're going to get. Um, it's a Trivia game, so you can, it's two to eight players, but you could really play in teams with the, the, yeah, the upper played, limit yeah. is, is in infinity, really. Yeah, we've you definitely can, played in teams. You can totally play with any number of people. Um, takes about an hour to play. Um, it uh, retails for about 45 bucks. Um, basically, it's a, it's a word game, but it's a trivia game. Um, but it's a game about language trivia. It's not, you know... It definitely caters towards the English majory crowd, and there are some pretty tough sort of language-oriented questions. The thing that I think is really cool about it and sets it apart is the breadth of the kinds of questions. Normally, oh, yes. you know, like with a Trivial Pursuit, you've got like your five main categories of questions. Um, in this game, I can't even count them. I think there are probably 30 or yeah. 40 different categories, categories of questions, right. acronyms, homophones, mm -hmm. homonyms, uh, history. That's just the tip of the yeah, iceberg. Yeah, there are all kinds of different yeah, Australianisms. Uh, what's, the, what's the one where you Slang. Get, yeah. Um, or portmanteau words. words. Yeah, exactly. Um, all these are different categories. But not only do you have these multiple different categories, but there's a different box of questions for different difficulty levels. And... It, um, the really kind of it's actually interesting to find a trivia game that actually sticks its neck out with a mechanic twist. Mm -hmm, right. And the mechanic twist in this game is first off on the board, which is very trivial pursuitish in that you've very. got the sort of wheel wagon wheel type board. Um, there are letters on the board, but there's a secret word um, that you're trying to spell. I guess it's not secret. Um, you know what the word is that you're trying to spell. Trying to collect the But letters. you have to try to land on the spaces that correspond to the letters, and they're all seven-letter words. Um, so you're going to have to answer seven questions right on the different letters. So if the word is, oh, what Goober. I, Goober. You know, you're going to have to land on the G, the O, O, B, and E, and R, um, and answer a question correctly, sort of like, you know, getting the pie piece in Trivial Pursuit. But the interesting thing in terms of mechanics is 
you roll the die, that determines the number of spaces that you'll move, but it also determines the level of difficulty oh, of right. the question. So in order to move far, you have to, to answer, answer more difficult questions, which I think that's actually oh, yeah. pretty interesting, and, and it's by no means unique, but it's cool to see a game that's going to actually take a little bit of a, a wrinkle as far right. as that goes. You know, I, also, I, can't, I go ahead. I was just saying it's also nice to see a trivia game where the the little pieces of pie or the little rewards or something aren't exactly in the same places every single yes. time. And yes. you know that, okay, I roll a four, I go again. I roll a five, I go again. I roll a four, I go again, and it mm-hmm. goes on forever. None of that. I mean, you just get right down to the business of yeah. you know, playing the darn game. The other interesting little me- uh, mechanic wrinkle is that when, if you land your piece on someone else, you can boot them to any place you want on the board. So if you're, they're like, oh, well, I've got all my letters but my G, and I've got Uber instead of Goober. There's only one G on the board. I'm going to yeah. send his ass all the way across exactly. the board. So he has to work his way around. So there is a little bit of a screw-your-neighbor aspect to the game, which is that's kind of cool. Always fun. Um, can't go wrong with that. And the um, other cool thing is you can kind of modify this to your own. Absolutely. Um, instead of you know rolling the dice and determining the difficulty level, if you're going to play this with kids... You know, they just always get the get level one. ones and twos or whatever, <laughs> and you're forced to, you know, answer the heinous fives and sixes. Now I have to say, you know, full disclosure, I am an English major. Got the masters in English, and boy, <laughs> it's you know, I'm raking in the big bucks with the English major. But I don't. Th- I think that the questions are accessible. I mean, I think that there yeah, are the are. level six ones are hard. But to me, it's refreshing to find a trivia game that doesn't sort of pander to the lowest common denominator. It is what it says it is. It's a trivia game about yeah. language. It doesn't make any apologies about it. And if you're going to play this game, by God, you better know something a little something about right, language exactly. or you are going to get your butt kicked by That's it. My reason for loving this game is I love to learn that. I mean, every time I play that game, I learn something. Because mm-hmm. I'm not the English major. But you know, I don't think it puts you... I mean, maybe... I certainly don't win every time I sit down to play this damn game. I, I think that there are plenty of you know, you don't have to be a professor of English no. to sit down no. and and stand a chance to win this game or even play the game and play well. No, I, I embarrassingly miss the first level questions <laughs> more often than I care to admit. I'll, you know, I'll ace the six ones and then get a two, and I can't you know answer it to save my life. I, I, I specifically love the homonyms and the homophones questions. Yeah, in there, they're just. Just a hoot. They're set up in little riddly, mm-hmm. you know, they have the, things. And they're just great. You have to, you know, fill in the blank with the four yeah. different homophones. Um, th- those are really great. Um, the other thing to note about this is there's actually a book version that's right. great for travel. Um, that's basically set up just like the the board game, but in book form. So you can play sort of little quizzes that they have the different levels of the questions. And we've actually done this a couple times, Dave, yeah. haven't we? Yeah. And it was a hoot. Highly recommended for a, a long car trip or something and and like you said you end up learning a lot about language and stuff but um it's not your common you're not going to find this in every store no. but you can find it online um online or in a special they have store. you know their their website is mama mamo paliri i'll spell it m-a-m-o-p-a-l-i-r-e.com um i'll include it in the show notes as well and you can find it on funagaingames.com and thoughthammer.com runs about 45 bucks. It's a little more pricey, but if you if you know language people or, or word nuts, it's a, it's a great off the wall kind of game that 
they'll be impressed by it. Don't they also have? I've never played it. Don't they have the history version of this? They do. They have it bethumped with history, and oh, they actually, okay. they actually, it's good. That, I'm glad you said that. They actually have a kids version too. Okay, they have a bethumped with words okay. junior. Um, that is specifically geared towards, and there's all uh, kinds of again another educational <laughs> thing. They actually have a thing on the the manufacturer's website talking about how to like integrate it with your classes and crap okay. like that. So, cool, really good excuse to to pull out a good game and and learn a little something while you're at it. <laughs> cool. Well, those those are two great games. Before yeah. You move on. Those <laughs> can't go wrong with those. Can't go wrong, and I don't think I think there's a lot of people that might not even know about either one. No. Of those. Nope. Give them a try. If you hate them, let us know. Yeah, <laughs> we'd be we'd be amazed. Yep. You can uh, email us with your comments and questions at thespiel.net. Truckloads of goober. Woohoo! My fun section coming <laughs> up, baby. At this, the next uh, segment is a segment we like to call. Truckloads of goober. Oh yeah, that's what I'm talking about, right there. <laughs> We've already had one goober or two of them at the mics tonight. So, yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> uh, truckloads of goober is the section where we highlight a game that has just that. Dave's definition yeah. of truckloads of goober, which is one of two things: just a buttload of stuff, or just really awesome, cool, unique components that you've never seen before, and sometimes. Both of those, mm-hmm. you know, um, something that sets the game apart from the ex- average. Exactly, and we don't always pick games that are the best games on the planet for this particular portion. It's just, you know, when you bought the game, did you have to have somebody help you carry it to the car, you know, <laughs> or when you opened it, was you know, was the most amazing components you've ever seen in your life. And tonight's game is, it fits the category of tons of stuff. And one or two of the most amazing components you'll ever see. I can't think of a more unique component than no. the main component in the game. Can you? I, I, no. This so equals this, maybe, but nothing that right, even comes exactly. close to topping it. So this game is Starfarers of Catan. Came out in 2001. Was a spinoff of the classic Settlers of Catan, which, as of now, there's more spinoffs of that game than you could possibly count. Not all of them good. Um, like I said, this came out in 01. Um, all the Catan games are um, the designer's Klaus Tuber. Um, this particular game is a Mayfair Cosmos thing. Um, three to four players. Takes a couple hours to play and um, has a retail price of up around the 60s, but you can find it at a handful of online places in like the- Thought Hammer and Fun Again in the 40s. Um, it's good bang for your bucket. Yeah, yeah, it is at the forty dollar price. It it's is, a little it is a ton more of expensive. stuff. So I guess we can get to the component that is just rocks our world, so to speak. Yeah. They have these awesome rockets in there that are I'm going to guess six to seven inches tall. Each person, each person their has their own. It's called the mothership. <laughs> um, and not only does each person get this, there's another two hundred plastic components in there that are accoutrements or you know the pieces that you're going to build put add on to this rocket like the engines the boosters the cannons the little radar dishes the little radar dishes all kinds of stuff and it is just awesome you know over the top i mean yeah it's just crazy and the other cool thing is the mechanic that's built into these damn things. Yeah, it's not just a static piece that no, uh, it's actually, sits over to the side. It's actually part of the game. Yeah, it's got the like where the 
flames would be coming out the bottom of the rocket, there's a little plastic enclosure with four colored balls, maybe three, I can't remember. I think it's four. Three or four colored balls that are uh, that match the player colors. And what you do on your, on your turn is you turn the rocket upside down, give it a little shake, then set it back up in these balls, fall down into this little receptacle that's see-through so you can actually see the colors, and that determines the player order for this turn. Awesome. I've seen that in one other game. <laughs> and, of course, I can't think of that. But um, <laughs> I was going to say, I can't think it, of another um, game that has that. Remind me to look that up. But, okay. Um, we'll put that in the show notes. Really, really cool. Um, and the, uh, the rest of the components, just truckloads of other plastic yeah, stuff. Yeah. It's, it's, yeah. Um, it's amazing. And for my particular copy, I have the five- and six-player expansion which adds two more full sets of rockets and all their goober that goes on them. Mm-hmm. Um, and I also, being the geek that I am, I have <laughs> the... Um, it, this game is basically a, a space exploration game type of thing. Um, and there's alien races that you get to go out and meet, you know, and some of them hook you up with cool stuff, other ones not so cool stuff. Um, but they put out this little s- collection of alien miniatures, so instead of going to meet this alien race and get a little cardboard chip, you get this little, like, three-inch tall plastic alien figure. And they're, like, painted, aren't yeah, they? They're yeah, they're pre-painted. Um, so I've got those thrown in there. So you throw the five and six and those guys in there. you got four or five hundred pieces of components, you know, some of which are just mammoth and, mm-hmm. and great. So the, commo- uh, the commodities and things are three-dimensional pieces as yes. well. Is that, yep. Am I remembering that right? Yep. Yeah. Every, everything is. They got little space stations, your it's, your ships, your you know, everything's really cool mechanic wise. I mean, um, component wise. Unfortunately we won't go into it because we didn't yeah, pick this game yeah. because of how good or how bad it is. Yeah. But it has some issues from a design standpoint. Right, exactly. It was the first of its kind in that it was the first spin off of um, Settlers, the first standalone spin off um, from Settlers and it, it has a, a lot of problems. Um, Absolutely out of the box. The first time you play it, a hoop. Just seeing yeah. it set up and playing it doesn't it's, have a lot of replayability. It's but. got it, well. I, I think you know every once in a while, it's not a game you're going to pull out very often. Right. But it, it's sort of a good pairing for us having talked about clippers, right? Which fails utterly on the component yeah, exactly. enhancing the experience of playing the game. Um, so completely on the flip. Starfarers, yeah. the components enhance and just. The whole game just exudes that sort of science fictional yeah. exploration going out, and you know, it's almost so cool on that merit yeah. alone that even though the game is sort of fair to Midland, you'll pull it. I would find myself. I think I don't have as much animosity, maybe because I haven't played it as many times uh-huh. as you did, um, but I can see myself getting it out more often just because of that. Because it's just cool to have all that oh, stuff out is. there and to go through the process of. Having to shake your your rocket and go through those things, and hey, I know, hey. <laughs> yeah. Hey, I'll shake my own, exactly. not yours. Uh, but I I know we've discussed some rules fixes, and maybe that at oh, some yeah. point we can we can even put that on the list of things to right. discuss in the podcast. How I think you could tweak that game without too much right. problem and fix most of the things mm-hmm. that I think we have issues with, it was, I mean, and it, it would really make it into going from a kind of meh game to being really, really cool, right. solid because all the other aspects of the game are, right. are well, really nice. Well, it finds nice, its basis in the same mechanics that set, that's used in Settlers, which is uh, awesome. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I mean, there almost is no better, you know, game out than that. Um, 
for that, and, yeah, for that you know, style. And of the game. components are so. I mean, I find myself opening the box. You know, every once in a while, I just open the box and go, ooh, yeah, cool. Yeah. Then I put it away again. But that's the essence of the truckloads of goober. Uh, segment, I think, is a game like this that you can forgive some design Absolutely, errors yeah. if they've put some effort into understanding that how the game not just looks but it feels yeah, and I, the process of playing is important in how you're going to react to the game. I've rarely seen this that much thought going it go into the mechan or the uh, components of any game. I remember just, seeing it man, when it was just uh, before it just had a been released, at one and, of the, and I thought. Well, that's that's an awesome that, prototype, exactly. but there is no way in hell that they're going to be able to bring something to market that's that cool. It's just too complicated and whatever. And I'll be damned if yeah, I mean, it, it retail for eighty when I'm right, ashamed yeah. to say I bought it. But yeah, exactly. but it was worth. I mean, I, I am not sorry that I spent you know that no, money on it. It was worth every penny. Yeah, it's one of the most unique things that either of us have on our shelves. And check it out. It's Period. it's definitely. There'll be there are pictures of it on Board Game Geek and any of the the retail places um, that we've seen or we've we've talked yeah. about before, um, and I'll include a, a link in the show notes. Um, that cool. We'll take you right there. Um, cool. And that's our truckloads of goober. The game sommelier, or right game, wrong crowd. So. We, uh, we like to think of ourselves as game experts, as being able, like a, a wine uh, sommelier in a, a restaurant, fine restaurant, being able to pair up the perfect wine with the perfect meal. Well, we're, we're both of the mind that we're able to do this with any game and, the, and a particular crowd. So each week, uh, one or the other of us will set a challenge. Uh, last week, uh, last episode, Dave set the challenge before me and I had the job before this episode to come up with a list of five games that would fit the particular kind of crowd that he put before me and then he gets to give me either the thumbs up or the thumbs down. Think, you know, sort of stump the band only it, only with exactly. games in, in a way. Um, the idea is that we, we have enough game knowledge that we can always find good games that'll fit and Dave has yeah. Dave gives me the either gives me hell or gives me a passing grade. I'm pulling for the hell, but <laughs> <laughs> so Dave, what was my challenge? Your challenge was to find a game that you could play when you're getting together with your hardcore gaming group of people. Unfortunately one of them couldn't find a babysitter and had to bring along his eight year old son or daughter and obviously needed to be included in the game, couldn't just pigeonhole him away in the corner. And so let's see what you came up with. As I remember it too, you you'd even put the extra added hurdle that they were like war gamers, not just that, you know, okay, hardcore right, gamers. Absolutely. They right. were they were war gamers in specific. So I, I kinda started from there and worked backward. And, okay. So my first game of my picks for uh, games for hardcore war gamers, but also for an eight year old, um, is Heroescape, which is a game that's put out by uh, is it Hasbro? Yep, um, Hasbro, um, tons of cool terrain, all sorts of little snap together um, terrain. It is a war game at its heart, but it's definitely simple enough that an eight-year-old could get it. Um, definitely belongs in the truckloads of goober oh, cate- category yeah. as well. A sort of cross-genre war game. You've got zombies fighting medieval knights with yes. dragons and giant robots and all sorts of things. Insane. Tons of different scenarios. Um, 
you could play with teams, so if the eight-year-old was struggling, you could say, okay, well, you be in charge of the dragon, and I'll mess with your other dudes over here. Um, so it's simple enough that an eight-year-old could enjoy it, but it definitely, I mean, I think it was actually designed with kind of that in, yeah, in mind, I would say. Um, definitely an entry-level war game, um, but also just plain old fun um, for, for anyone to play. Um, so that's number one. And... Unfortunately, that gets a thumbs up <laughs> because that's I think you hit the nail on the head right there with that one. I think this was even probably marketed for exactly you know the problem that I posed to you. Yeah, that was which the first is game. Unfortunate that... for me, but <laughs> all right. So number one passes the test. Cool. Number two, uh, Monsters Menace America, it's a game by Avalon Hill. Again, following kind of the same theme. Very simple strategy, very much a dice fest kind of yep. game. Imagine sort of Godzilla and King Kong and Mothra uh, tromping <laughs> across the United States. Giant map of the United States with big plastic monster figures <laughs> and tons of little army men and uh, uh, you know Air Force and things that you're trying to destroy the other people's monsters while having your monster cause as much havoc across the country as you possibly can. It's just a hoot. And definitely, it's campy and kitschy, but it still is a war game at its heart. Absolutely. So that's number two. And unfortunately, that's two in a row. <laughs> because if for no other reason than just letting the eight-year-old tromp around with your monster and leave these gargantuan footprints, yeah, <laughs> you know, all over the you know the United States. I think they would have a hoot. You could put them in, you know, your kids, okay, you're going to be in charge of my military. Yeah. Okay, now every time I need you, you need to come up here and roll these dice because <laughs> we're going to try and trounce the giant praying mantis. Before he eats Exactly. <laughs> so I I think they would have a hoot, and a, the hardcore war gamers would absolutely love that. Yeah. So that's number two. Number three, it's sort of a three-parter here, but I think you'll give me this. So there is a series of games called Mission Command, uh, land, air, and sea. They were each a separate game. One dealt with you know land warfare. The other one with air. The other one with sea. Very kind of abstract war games. You're not you know they're not historical, but they're right. all kind of modern. Remember, um, you know you've got fighter jets that are dueling when the air one, and you've got tanks and and army men and missile launchers in the the land one. Very simple to learn. Again, lots of little pieces and things. Um, you can actually play with up to four people, but you can easily play with two. Right. Um, so if you know the the main group wanted to go off and play something, just one person could could go and play with the eight year old, or you could play everybody together on the same same game. Um, very easy to learn. Again, another dice fest kind of right. game. Not quite as well thought out. I think this one is, is it Mattel or Milton Bradley? Or? Milton Bradley sounds familiar. I'm not positive, but I think you're right. Um, you know, so it's not exactly the highest components, but, you know, it's like a $5, $10 game. It's very right. cheap. Yeah, exactly. But, but it would definitely, I think, would appeal. It appeals to the eight-year-old me, because that's certainly why I bought it. Yeah. You can sit down and have a, a blast I, with it. I think you hit it with this one again also only because I think it was marketed actually for probably kids in the 8-year-old range. Mm -hmm. So I would be afraid I would be tempted to say that the hardcore war gamers couldn't stand this if I hadn't played one of these three with you <laughs> and on the you know at the onset it looked like it was going to be horrible and it played up to us. I thought we just had a good time. It's nothing amazing, but we were able to have a good time with it. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, if the gamers didn't mind that, I think this would be a great yeah. game to mix. I mean, 
if they don't have much social skills, perhaps the war gamers would be bored with this. But you know, right? I'm I'm assuming that they would give the kid a break and you know yeah, not, yeah. not try to just yeah, pound, I think it, pound it. I think that's a good fit. Three out of three so far. <laughs> so number four, this is a little bit of a stretch, but this is you know I'm assuming maybe you've got an eight year old who's a little precocious and and might be able to get a few more um, more advanced rules. Um, Memoir forty four, game by Days of Wonder. <laughs> I certainly wouldn't put an eight-year-old against a hardcore war gamer on his own, but I have played this game with uh, six people playing one game. And the way you do that is you have... Actually, I think it was even more than that. It might have been eight of us playing. Um, so you have one person who is the general, and there are orders that are issued, and you divide the board up into thirds, and one person is sort of the, the major for the middle of the battlefield. And the general gets to decide whether you get orders on a turn or not, or whether the left side or the right side or the middle gets orders. And if you get orders, then you'll confer with your other lieutenants and decide which pieces are going to move. It's a World War II-themed game, tons of dis- different scenarios admittedly more advanced than the other ones. Much more. But I think it would be a a hoot, and it would be really sort of a confidence booster for an 8-year-old to say, hey, we think you're smart enough to sit down and play this more advanced game if you've got help from us. You know, you can kind of lay out some of the more advanced strategies to the kid. I mean, it's not the most comp- it's not like advanced squad leader or no, anything. It's, it's not a super complicated game, but it is a step up from these other games that right. I've mentioned. So, not every 8-year-old is probably going to be able to play it. Exactly. But I think if you're playing with teams where you've got two or three other people who, you know, you're not just throwing the kid to the wolves, that's number 4. I might have to question this one. <laughs> and I'm not sure if you put it in there just to make me question it. But um I would I would say Yes, it could definitely possibly work, but I'm thinking if you get those hardcore gamers into this, Memoir 44 can easily become definitely a strategy thing. They're going to get much more intense while playing this, and I think they may get impatient, possibly get impatient with the 8-year-old. And if not, if they just give the 8-year-old like a right flank or a left flank and occasionally give them orders, I think he might be the one, he or she may be the one that gets impatient. So... I can see where you would fit this into the list, but I, um, I'm going to have to give you a thumbs down on this one, <laughs> and you'll kill me later for that, um, just because I, I think that it could easily, as easily as it might work, it could just as easily um, be boring for either either the war gamers because they're going to get so intense that they're going to leave the child completely out and not have anything to do with them, or the child's going to be like, holy crap, what the hell? Well, you know, what's this? Fair enough. I've got, so, I've got backups. So, so I'll, I'm going to give you a thumbs down on that's okay. on that Three or four, I'm still I'm, I'm doing okay. So number five, I'm going to throw in a number six since I failed on one. I've got to get at least five, <laughs> got to get at least five good ones here. Number five uh, is Formula Day. Um it's a competitive game, not particularly a war game, but I think it's it's it fits in that. Again, not going to be hard for the eight-year-old to pick up, but it allows the war gamers to be super competitive without leaving the kid out. Because at right. its heart, it's still a dice game, yep. and no matter how much strategizing, like you said, you had a fair point with the memoir forty-four. There's only so much counting you can do of the board. 
um, it's not going to take that long. You're not going to shove the kid aside. You know, it's, there's not going to be that much boredom involved, especially if you're doing a short race. You could do a series of short races instead of one giant. Right. You know, I would think you'd do you know, a one-lap race instead of a, a multi-lap race. It's basically a Formula One racing game, but it's very accessible to almost any age, and you can play with a ton of people or you can play with a few people. Um, and uh, it has the feeling of a more advanced game, even though really at its heart it's right, a dice exactly. game. Exactly. Um, and I think that definitely would would um, they would have a hoot with it, even though it's not a war game. I mean, to me, just because you're a hardcore war gamer doesn't mean you're just not going to play any other kind of game. So it would be a game that would be easy to pull off the shelf and not have to take a half an hour to try to explain to an eight year old how to play. And I think that's a great pick because I think if I was showing up to play games and thinking that I was going to play. You know, a you know war game found out that we were going to have to you know let a you know an eight year old into the game. I would love to settle for Formula Day, you know, because yeah. it's it's a great game and you're I, not really settling. <laughs> right, exactly. You're not having to settle for anything. You know, the the kids are going to love the fact that their cars racing around the track. You know, and mm-hmm. if they don't quite understand the you know the important things, just rolling the dice and getting to move their car, yeah, is not going to affect. You know the other players, and if it is, it's going to only be in a fun way. Yeah, and I mean, know. you can put it in terms they can understand. You can say you can roll the red die, and maybe not get into the turn. Or if you roll the green die, you might blow up. Exactly. So what do you want to do? You know, you don't have to get super complicated. And I, I've played this with you know a twenty-year-old that had the intelligence <laughs> intelligence of an eight-year-old, and it worked fine. So I think that's a great pick. And my my backup pick, if you'll allow me, my backup pick. Okay. Because uh, you know I got to I got to come through here with five good games. <laughs> Again, this is this is a little this is a stretch. It's a, it's a different tangent than these other games, right? And that is the Great Dal Moody, great filler game. You can play it for as long or as little. If he's an eight year old, he's going to have a bedtime, so he's right. not going to be playing probably as late as the other gamers are going to play. Sure. So you could say, okay, well, we're going to include you for an hour here. We're going to play the Great Dal Moody. Um, again, very easy to learn how to play. It's a card game. Uh, basically about rank, social rank and if you end up getting rid of all your cards first and you become the great Del Moody we usually play with silly hats which I think right. the, the uh, eight-year-old will get into and you know I, I know enough hardcore war gamers that are definitely gamers that would you know get into the spirit of things and you know the great Del Moody gets to ask the uh, the lesser and greater peons to do things like shuffle the cards or go get drinks for them and things like that and i can see the eight-year-old eating that up and i can also see the hard ga- hardcore war gamer you know saying oh pee on to the to the little eight-year-old and getting him to go make him a sandwich or something you know it's not a long game but no. you know that wasn't a stipulation right. so uh i think that that would certainly fit the bill if you you know the eight-year-old you know was there for an hour and you could say well what could we play that isn't going to take us all night and when we're done with that we can go about our business and play whatever we intended to play to begin with I would say I've I've never met a gamer, hardcore war gamer or other, that didn't enjoy playing Great Dow Moody. <laughs> it's just fun. It's great. Um, and as long as somebody was willing to help the eight-year-old occasionally so they didn't become the peon all the time, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, and I, I think that would be a hoot, especially if you know the eight-year-old got to be the Great Dow Moody once or twice and was you know telling telling the uh, big kids what to <laughs> yeah, do. Yeah, yeah. You know. Would. That that would be a hoot, and that would just, you know, once once the kid went to bed, that would just make for, you know, fodder for the rest of the evening. Yeah. So and that eight year old would remember it days after, you oh, know, would be thrown oh, it back yeah. in their face. <laughs> yeah. 
Well, that's pretty good. I, I give that a thumbs up. So that's you know five out of six. That's great. And, I did pretty well. And and out of those five, I'd say you know three or four of them were like right on the nail. I mean, couldn't pick any better for war gamers. You know, with an eight year old. So woohoo! That was good. I pass mostly. <laughs> <laughs> that was- um, so now it's time for your challenge for the next week. <laughs> That's why I couldn't be too hard. Yeah, I didn't, want, I didn't want to get you know the challenge from hell. So, uh, your challenge for the next week is: let's say um, you and your girlfriend are going to go over to, or wife, we'll even say wife, um, are going over to the in-laws to play games. You and your that assumes that we ever go over to the end. <laughs> yes, yes. Well, I'm assuming that it has <laughs> happened. Whether you like it or not, you've got to go there. You enjoy playing games with your wife. Uh, the in-laws like playing games, but they are super competitive. Not not necessarily hardcore, but they play and they play to win, and they don't like losing. Oh, and not our, the in-laws that cheat at Monopoly. And, yeah, those oh kind. God. Those kind. So you have to pick games that will not end with either a divorce or you not speaking to the in-laws. You can't pick games on purpose that Just, will oh, allow you damn. never to go over to the. I was going to say that was an easy out. <laughs> in-laws, <laughs> games that will maintain family peace, but you will still have a good time with. Okay, so you've got a little bit to ponder there. Uh, Okay, I think I can do that. <laughs> well, we'll, we'll find see. out. Let me, let me take some notes here real quick. <laughs> cool, I'm looking forward to that. Well, I think that'll about wrap it up for this episode, episode number three of Ooh, The Spiel. Magic number three. We've made it three in, and we, we intend to keep on doing exactly. this. If you're listening to this, <laughs> wow, that means you've actually lasted through three. Yeah, we thank you, and cool. we hope you like what you're hearing, and we'll get better over time. Uh, for more information, please uh, check us out online at thespiel.net. And remember, whether it's the roll of the dice, or the turn of a card, or the draw of a tile, you don't have to play to win, you, you just, just have, have to, to play. play.